0: So we are, as Paul reminded us, um, at the start of our service today, we are just reminding ourselves over these weeks of our, our vision and our values. And um, the first week that we, we looked at this, um, we talked about being a Jesus-centered church. And uh, we're doing our little puzzle here. We talked about, um, from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we've talked about the fact that we've been called into a relationship with Jesus Christ. We are not a religion. We are not following religious duties. It's not about being good people or better people or more moral people. But it is about being called into fellowship with Jesus. That's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 9, God who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ. So we're called into relationship with Jesus. We're about Jesus Christ is the one we preach and the one we point people towards. We're also called to be his representatives. Paul was an apostle, a sent one of Jesus Christ. He refers to the church as the sanctified ones, the set apart ones, the one that are sent by God. And we are called as a church of Jesus Christ to be his representatives, his ambassadors. And as we are a Jesus-centered people, we want to always point people towards Jesus. Through our Alpha courses and through our ministries and through our outreaches, we are all about Jesus and we're all about inviting people into a relationship with Jesus. And the third thing that we said in that first week was that um, we are given God's resources to do this. We're not expected to do this in our own strength, or our own power, or through our own personality. And what Paul stre- uh, stressed as he, as he wrote to the Corinthian church was, he said, when I came to you, I, I didn't preach with wise or persuasive words, but what I did do, I, I came with fear and trembling, but I, I preached with a kind of a demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit. And he spoke of the, the resources that God gives us. So... That first week, we, we talked about our values as a, as a Jesus-centered church, and then last week, we looked at the fact that we wanted to be uh, a Bible-based church, and um, Paul, again in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, spoke of the wisdom of this world, and, the, and human wisdom, and we talked about like a giant game of Jenga, how culture is collapsing in on itself in many ways, um, and it's interesting this week, and further political resignations, and, but the culture, the culture is collapsing in on its own values because it takes away from the base the truth of Scripture and a biblical worldview. And we talked about the fact that Paul said that, you know, the Jews, they want signs and they want power and they want transcendence, and the Greeks, they want wisdom, but we, we preach Christ, and he is the power of God and he is the wisdom of God. And when we present Scripture, the truth of Scripture, in its entirety, this story of God that makes sense of the world and makes sense of our lives, then we build our lives on a biblical foundation, and there is no greater foundation to build our lives on. So this morning, we want to look at our third value, which is that we want to be a spirit-led church. We want to be a spirit-led church a church that is led by God's Spirit. We want to be, our value statement says, we want to be a church that keeps in step with the Spirit of God, that follows His guidance and grows in the fruit of the Spirit and in the gifts of the Spirit. We want to be a church that keeps in step with the Holy Spirit and grows in the fruit of the Spirit. I'm going to do it in three parts this morning, and all I'm going to be able to do today is is create a bit of a survey, an overview of some of these aspects. We we don't have time to go into depth into some of the elements of what I'll be talking about this morning, but there are elements of what I will say this morning that we will teach further on in the coming weeks and months that we want to talk about further The fruit of the Spirit. We want to be a church that keeps in step with the Holy Spirit and that grows in the fruit of the Spirit of God. In Galatians chapter 5, um, verses 22 to 25, it says, The fruit of the Spirit is, and then uh, Paul describes it, the fruit of the Spirit in someone's life, in our lives, in the church, is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. What Paul made clear in his various letters was that we are resourced by and changed by the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And the the image that the Bible gives us is one of fruit, refers to the fruit of the Spirit. An apple tree does not need to try very hard to produce apples. An apple tree, by default, if it's planted correctly and nourished correctly, will produce fruit. It may take a while, but it will produce fruit. And what Paul says is that when we live by the Holy Spirit of God, when we are in step with the Spirit of God, when we are filled with the Holy Spirit of God, we will increasingly demonstrate the characteristics or the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The way that the message paraphrases it is this, but what happens when we live God's way? He brings gifts into our lives, much the same way that fruit appears in an orchard. Things like affection for others, exuberance about life, serenity. We develop a willingness to stick with things, a sense of compassion in the heart, a conviction that a basic holiness permeates things and people. We find ourselves involved in loyal commitments, not needing to force our way in life, able to marshal and direct our energies wisely. Now, the first fruit of the Spirit that is mentioned is love Let's just think about love for a moment. Sometimes as as Pentecostals, we can spend a lot of time thinking about or emphasizing certain spiritual gifts, the gifts of the Spirit as outlined in 1 Corinthians 12, for example, and we'll come to those in a minute. But think for a moment about Paul's dealings with the spiritual gifts as he writes to the Corinthian churches. And he, he, he writes in 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14 about the way that spiritual gifts should be exercised in the church but cushioned in the middle of those two chapters is a whole chapter on love right in the middle and it's the chapter that is read at many a wedding and at the start of chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians Paul says follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts And in chapter 13, Paul says, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but I do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains and do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and if I give over my body to hardship that I may not boast but that I may boast but do not have love I gain nothing. D.A. Carson writes about this passage and the indispensability of love and he says this he says no matter how exalted my gift of tongues without love I am nothing more than a resounding gong and a clanging cymbal. The least he is saying is that under these conditions, I become empty, meaningless noise. There is no spiritual significance to my gift of tongues. And Carson presses home his point on this, and there's something in this for every one of us. He says, you who think that because you speak in tongues, you're so spiritual, you who prove your large endowment from the Holy Spirit by exercising the gift of prophecy you must understand that you have overlooked what is most important. If Paul were addressing the modern church, perhaps he would extrapolate further. You Christians who prove your spirituality by the amount of theological information you can cram into your heads, I tell you that such knowledge by itself proves nothing. And you who affirm the Spirit's presence in your meetings because there's a certain style of worship, If your worship patterns are not expressions of love, you are spiritually bankrupt. You who insist that speaking in tongues attests a second work of the Spirit, a baptism in the Spirit, I tell you that if love does not characterize your life, there is not evidence of even a first work of the Holy Spirit. In none of these instances, this is still Carson speaking. Does Paul depreciate spiritual gifts? But he refuses to recognize any positive assessment of any of them unless the gift is discharged in love. Love is indispensable. And this next phrase I think is truest of all the greatest evidence that heaven has invaded our sphere that the Spirit has been poured out upon us, that we are citizens of a kingdom not yet consummated, is Christian love. I think this is a genuine work of the Holy Spirit amongst us and one that we desperately need in these days. And Paul reminds us and reminds the Romans, he says God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. And so the fruit of the Spirit is something that we want to grow in as a church, and and love is the first of these and the greatest of these. And just in case we get some mushy, sentimental idea of what love is and what it looks like, Paul spells it out for us in natural behavioral traits that demonstrate and epitomize love amongst us. Love, he says, is patient. Patient with one another. Love, whenever love is present, you will find people that are kind. Love is kind. And love, if it's present amongst you, it doesn't envy. You won't envy other people or their gifts or what they do or what they say. Love does not boast. You will not be boastful when love is found in your life. It's not proud. It doesn't dishonor others. It doesn't delight in pulling others down or dishonoring them. Love is not self-seeking. It doesn't just look out for number one. It's not easily angered. It's not easily provoked. It's not, you don't need to walk on eggshells when love is around. Love does not keep a record of wrongs. So when you have been wronged, then it doesn't keep a record. It will forgive and move on. Love does not delight in evil. It rejoices with the truth. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes. There's always hope when love is in the midst. (laughs) And it always perseveres. The fruit of the Spirit. We want to be a church that is fruitful. And the characteristics of the Holy Spirit in our lives. When heaven invades us, when heaven is amongst us, when the Spirit is poured out upon us, it will be demonstrated by love. And Paul says... Use all of these gifts. I I speak in tongues, he says, more than any of you. Covet to prophesy. Desire to prophesy. Use that gift. Stir up the gift that is within you. But right in the middle of all of his admonitions and at the start and at the finish, he's saying if you don't have love and you don't deliver it with love and you don't live it out with love, it's worth nothing. And he covers all of the areas. He covers the spectacular gifts, the vocal gifts, the giving gifts, the cognitive uh, gifts. All of them. If I, if I have all of the knowledge, but I don't have love, I've got nothing. If I give to the poor, but I don't have love, I've got nothing. If I speak with the tongues of angels, and I am, but I don't have love, I have nothing. So that's foundational for us. And we must always remind ourselves of that truth. The second thing that we say in our value statement is, is that we want to be a church that follows the guidance of the Holy Spirit. We are a a, a spirit-led, we want to be a spirit-led people. All who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God, we read in Romans 8 verse 14. A church that follows the guidance of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God is someone who gives us wisdom and understanding and reveals to us the thoughts of God. Look at our passage in 1 Corinthians 1 and 2 that we've we've been reading these last couple of weeks. We read, and uh, let, me, let me read to you um, from the end of chapter 1. Uh, we'll read from verse 27. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It's because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it's written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. And then chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians. When I came to you, brothers and sisters, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. We do not, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age, or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. We speak of God's secret wisdom a wisdom that's been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him, but God has revealed it to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God, For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. We have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. The man without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God for they are foolishness to him and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned the spiritual man makes judgments about all things but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment for who has known the mind of the Lord that we that he may instruct him but we have the mind of Christ for in, in, in him, chapter 1 says, in him you have been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and with all kinds of knowledge. Paul says, I came to you in weakness and in fear and trembling. And my message, they, it was a demonstration of the Spirit's power. H- have you ever asked anyone, um, what are you thinking? What are you thinking? The better you know someone the more you can often read their thoughts, can't you? And sometimes, we may be thinking profound thoughts. Often if we are men, we're not thinking very much at all. (laughs) It's just the sound of tumbleweed. But ultimately, only you know what you are thinking. No one around you knows. If we could visualize, like one of those cinema adverts, what we are thinking this morning, and put them on the screen, our thoughts, we would have a very interesting read from this congregation. Some of you are sitting thinking, "Mm, I cannot wait to eat my roast beef dinner. (laughs) And there will be a, a wealth of, but only you know what you're thinking. Nobody else knows it around you. And one of the things that the Holy Spirit does, Paul says, is he reveals to us the thoughts of God, the mind of Christ. We get God's ideas, and we get God's thoughts downloaded to us by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit, Paul says in chapter 2, verse 10, searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them. In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. And what we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. And this is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit, explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. So there'll be times where God gives us things to say and he gives us his thoughts. The Holy Spirit gives us the very thoughts of the Father. Jesus said to his disciples, he said, there's going to come a time where you'll be dragged in front of uh, people and, and you'll be dragged in front of courts and you'll be taken to trial. And, but he said, don't worry because the Holy Spirit will tell you what to say. In Mark 13, he says, you, 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 when you're arrested and when you stand trial, Don't worry in advance about what to say. Just say what God tells you to at that time, for it is not you who will be speaking, but the Holy Spirit. There will be times in your workplace, in difficult conversations, when explaining to someone about your faith, or when trying to explain a difficult issue to your child, or dealing with a difficult issue around your children, or when wrestling with complex issues in your life, or when struggling with emotions, or when trying to overcome insurmountable difficulties, when dealing with issues at work, when the Holy Spirit will take the wisdom and the understanding and the thoughts of God and will make them known to you as His child. There will sometimes be words that come out of your mouth and you will wonder where they came from. There will be times. When you get a creative idea and times when you are prompted to call someone or pray for someone, times when you feel that God is speaking to you, there will be times when you're reading your Bible and the Holy Spirit will illuminate a word or a line or a verse that springs off the page and seems to speak to the very depths of your heart and your circumstance. There will be times when a strong impression comes out of left field or a dream, or a line of a song, or a verse of Scripture. And it's like the Holy Spirit is taking the thoughts and intentions of God and downloading them to you. Because you are a child of God. And the expectation is, throughout Scripture, that you will be led by and directed by the Holy Spirit. I think if you are an architect... I think you should ask the greatest architect that ever was for solutions to building designs and conundrums. I think if you're a medical professional, you should ask the one who designed and created and knows the intricate workings of the human body for some of his insight and knowledge. I think if you're a teacher or a parent or a factory worker, or a delivery driver, or a builder, or a children's worker, or whatever, or whoever you are, I think you can ask and expect as a child of God to get his insights, his wisdom, and his knowledge by the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul was a preacher and a leader, and he says here that when I preached to you, and when I taught you, These were not my words. These were not wise and persuasive words. These were not human words with clever rhetoric. These were words that were God-given and Spirit-inspired, and they were made to make a difference in people's lives. And when I preached to you, Paul says, there was a demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit that made a difference, that changed hearts, that opened a heart to the gospel of Jesus Christ. When... Peter, the fisherman, the uneducated fisherman, stood up on the day of Pentecost and preached to thousands of people. The power of the Holy Spirit came upon him. And people's hearts were cut to the depth, <laughs> to so deeply, uh, well, cut so deeply when they heard his words. And they cried out, what must we do to be saved? As this uneducated fisherman spoke, there are times when you will open your mouth at work or in a conversation, and the Holy Spirit will give you a thought or a word in season, and it will cut through all the stuff of people's lives, and it will land in their heart, and it will thrive there. And as a church, and as the people of God, we can, and we must, and we should expect that God will lead us, and direct us, and guide us by His Holy Spirit. We should expect no less Because we are the children of God and those who are the children of God are led by the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God takes the things, the secret knowledge of God, the thoughts of God and he reveals them to us. This is what Paul says, you were enriched in every way, in all knowledge and in all speech. You were given every gift that you needed to thrive. And this is the work of the Holy Spirit amongst us. So God empowers us and God equips us and God produces in us, in our lives, his fruit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And as we keep in step with the Spirit of God, the fruit of the Spirit, the characteristics of the Spirit become evident in our lives and it is a beautiful thing. And we are guided by the Spirit of God. But we also want to be a church that grows in and exercises the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Paul writes, I always thank my God for you in chapter 1 verse 4. (coughs) And for the gracious gift he has given you, know that you belong to Christ Jesus. Through him, God has enriched your church in every way, with all of your eloquent words and all of your knowledge. This confirms that what I told you about Jesus Christ is true. Now you have every spiritual gift you need that's charisma in the Greek as you eagerly wait for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ you as a church you have every gift of the spirit that you need and Paul calls the gifts of the spirit he calls them manifestations and he reminds us that Jesus is working in our midst, he's working through us by his Holy Spirit J.I. Packer writes about this passage in 1 Corinthians. He says, Paul gives thanks because of the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him with all speech and all knowledge, so that you're not lacking in any spiritual gift. Paul's wording makes it clear that spiritual gifts are given in Christ. They are enrichments received from Christ. It is vital that we see this, or we will be confusing natural with spiritual gifts. Our use of spiritual gifts is nothing more or less than Christ himself ministering through his body to his body, to the Father, and to all mankind. From heaven, Christ uses Christians as his mouth, his hands, his feet, even his smile, it is through us as people that he speaks and acts and meets and loves and saves here and now in this world. Sometimes, J.I. Packer says, God edifies the church and his people, lifts them up through performances that to competent judges seem substandard. This is characteristic. God highlights the weakness of those whom he saves and uses so that nothing will rival or obscure his glory. So that means God uses people like you and like me. And that's what Paul says, isn't it, when he writes to these Corinthians. He says, remember that not many of you were wise in the world's eyes, or powerful, or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose the things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. He chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. And God chose the despised things in this world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. So God, by his Holy Spirit, gives gifts to the church in Christ. Christ ministers by his Spirit to us and through us. We are his voice. We are are his hands. We are his feet. We are his smile. We are his touch. And we represent Christ. And every believer, Paul says, every believer is given... A manifestation of the Holy Spirit. A gift of the Holy Spirit. And these gifts, are not to make us big. They're not to big us up. They're not for our aggrandizement. But they are, Paul says, they're for the common good. They're for everyone to build up and to edify. These gifts can be a a mixture of the natural and the supernatural. The spectacular and the more ordinary. And so in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul says... There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them, and there are different kinds of service, but the same Lord, and there are different kinds of working, but all of them, and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. And so we read um, in the Bible several lists of gifts of the Holy Spirit, charisma, that are given to the body of Christ. These are not exhaustive lists, and they, and they have contained different gifts in different parts of the Bible. So you've got 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 to 11. You've got 1 Corinthians 12, verse 28. And then let's read together uh, Romans chapter 12, <coughs> verses 6 to 8, and see um, what, what Paul says there. Romans chapter 12. I will start with verse 4. And just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. There are the gifts of speech and the gifts of Samaritanship, they're called. And we don't have time today to go into them all. There's also the passage in Ephesians chapter 4 that speaks of some were given as apostles and prophets and teachers and pastors and evangelists so that, so that the people of God might be equipped for every good work. But the expectation is, as children of God, is that we are endued and we are empowered and we are gifted with grace gifts that will represent the ministry of Jesus Christ on this earth through his body. And that is exciting because God wants to use you. God wants to speak through you. God wants to use your hands and your feet and your voice and your personality. God works with us. God never works across the grain of our personality. So some of us here this morning, we are introverts, and some of us here this morning, we are extroverts. And but we're all different. But God always works with the grain of our personality. And God uses the giftings that are within us. God loves those amongst us who are the melancholics. God loves the creatives. God loves those who are deep thinkers. But God loves the cheerful and the ones that connect and the sanguine amongst us and the ones that are social butterflies, and the ones that love to chat and talk to lots of people. God loves those that it fries their brain when they talk to too many people, and they like to sit in a dark room by themselves. (laughs) God loves you, and he made you that way, and he will use you that way. He will use you to deeply connect with someone or to speak truth into someone's life. God loves you the way you are, and God made you the way you are, and God gifted you the way you are by his grace by his grace gifts. And the Bible and Paul is clear that to every one of us, without exception, God has given a manifestation of the Spirit of God, the spiritual gifts, the charisma. And for some of us, we are given an administrative ability and an administrative brain that can organize things so well, and that is a gift of the Holy Spirit. Some of us are given uh, speech gifts some of us are given mercy gifts that we love to help people we love to serve people some of us are given a gift an abundant gift of giving we are gifted by God to earn money and to give it away there are many different gifts that are listed in these different passages but we are all included and we want to be a spirit led church that uses these gifts with increasing effectiveness and always in love. Let's remind ourselves of some advice that Paul gave to Timothy as we draw this to a close. He said in 2 Timothy 1 verse 5, I remember your genuine faith, Timothy, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I know that some, that same faith continues strong in you. This is why I remind you to fan into flame the spiritual gift that God has given you when I laid my hands on you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power and of love and of self-discipline. We want to be a church that keeps in step with the Spirit of God. We want to be a church that follows His guidance and grows in the fruit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And as I say today, all I can really give you is an overview of some of these essences or the work of the Holy Spirit amongst us. And in coming weeks and months, we'll teach some more into some elements of these gifts and how they are operated in the church body. But Paul reminds us, first of all, follow the way of love, and then eagerly desire spiritual gifts. Eagerly desire them and ask God for them. And thirdly, when God has given you a gift, fan it into flame. Use it and uh, ask God to increase it. Remember the parable of the talents? We've all been given talents, some 10, some 5, and some 2. But the rebuke came in the story of the talents um, only in the fact that somebody didn't use their talents. They buried them. Um, and that the man was commended that took his few talents and used them and produced some more. But the one that was rebuked was the one that took their talents and dug a hole and buried them. And what God wants every one of us to do as the body of Christ, and it's increasingly important that we do so, is that we all use our gifts to the glory of God because the body builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So we need all of the gifts of the Holy Spirit to be present amongst us, and the Holy Spirit has given us all of the gifts to be exercised in love. So I'm going to invite the band back up now, and we're going to sing a couple of songs, and we're going to worship God, and and, and we're going to um, just wait a few moments on the Holy Spirit and ask him to come and to fill us afresh and anew. We reminded ourselves this morning that this is just a deposit. The gift of the Holy Spirit is a deposit. We don't have absolutely everything that we will have when we meet Jesus face to face. But we do have this deposit of the Spirit of God. And so we want to be a church that keeps in step with the Spirit, increasingly grows in in the fruit of the Spirit. We want to be a people that that know the guidance of the Spirit. And it may be this morning that you need wisdom and you need insight and you need knowledge in your workplace or in your family or into how to handle difficult circumstances. And the Spirit of God can give you that knowledge of God, that wisdom of God. Download it into your heart. He can do it in in your workplace. He can do it in your home. And uh, and the Bible says that if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask for it. And so we can ask this morning for the Holy Spirit. We can ask for the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And we can ask that the Holy Spirit will fill us anew and afresh. And it may be that your spiritual gift has lain dormant for a while. And you've not really been using what God has placed inside of you. And this morning, I just want to pray for you that that the Spirit of God would just start to blow afresh upon you and, and start to resurrect that gift that's in you and release it to a new lease of life. It may look different than it did 20 years ago or 30 years ago or 40 years ago, but it's still a gift and it's still in you and it can still be used to the glory of God. So let's stand together We're going to sing this song, uh, you Holy Spirit. You are welcome here. And let me just ask specifically for some of these things for you. And um, sometimes we place our hand on our hearts, on our spirits, just to signify God's work amongst us, God's touch. And uh, as I pray for you this morning, receive in faith from God <laughs> and, and um, first of all maybe you need more of the fruit of the spirit, we all do we all do but we need the love of God to, to permeate everything we do and I love that passage in Romans that says he has poured out, poured out his love into our hearts by his Holy Spirit and so let's pray for that this morning Lord we pray that you would pour out such love amongst us that we would know that the Spirit of God is working amongst us. This love that is described as patient and, and kind and gentle and, and uh, keeping no record of, of wrongs and not easily angered and not self-seeking and not arrogant. Lord, I pray that increasing measure, Lord, that fruit of the Spirit would be evident in us, in our lives, in our church, in me. Lord, we pray in, in your name that you would pour out your love into our hearts by your holy Spirit this morning and fill us to overflowing God. There'd be such a gentleness about us, such a kindness when we open our mouths, such an indication of the fruit of the Spirit. Lord, make us fruitful people. Come, Holy Spirit, would you and increase your work in our lives. Let us keep in step with you. Lord, I just pray we'd see this in each other and we'd see it in this place and in our church. Lord, we ask for that this morning. We ask for more of your spirit, Lord. And Lord, we also pray this morning that, the Spirit of God who takes the thoughts of God, the mind of God the mind of Christ and makes it known to us Father I pray for for each one of us where we are confounded and we say I don't know what to do I don't know what to do about that situation, I just can't work it out I, I, I just, I'm stuck but God I pray that you would just download the the thoughts of heaven to us, the wisdom of God, the insights of the Spirit. And I pray that, Lord, there be times that we have just the word to say to that errant child or to that difficult work colleague or to our boss or to our husband or wife or our friend or our brother or... I pray, Holy Spirit, that we would be people that are directed and led by the Spirit of God. I pray for those dreams that would come in the night, for the promptings of your Spirit to pray for someone or to call them. I pray that we are children of God and that we would be led by the Spirit of God and know the mind of Christ. I pray that would happen increasingly, Lord, in our hearts and our lives. And Father, I pray for the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Lord, if there are those that want and are asking for the ability to pray in tongues, to have a spiritual prayer language, that as they ask you for that, you would gift it them, Lord. Oh those that covet to prophesy and, and speak words of edification and insight, Lord. There are so many gifts amongst us beautiful gifts that when they flow together the body just continues to grow and grow and grow and edify itself and build itself up in love and it's like a building with living stones where God lives and the spirit comes and it's a beautiful thing to behold and I pray for a release, oh God, a fresh release of your giftings. <laughs> I pray, Lord, that we would stir and up and fan into flame the gift of God that is within us. Every one of us, God, I pray for that. Increase that gifting, Lord. Let us use it to your glory. And Lord, some of it to us seems substandard and not particularly impressive. But God, if we do it and use it for your glory, God, you will receive the glory and your power will be evident amongst us. So as we sing these songs of response, Lord, just move amongst us, Holy Spirit. Fill us anew. Be agitating in our hearts and lives and minds. Be bubbling up from within us like streams of living water. Fall afresh upon us like tongs of fire. <laughs> Touch our lips and our minds and our hearts. I pray in your name. Come, Holy Spirit. Amen.